Why do you support refugees? I support refugees because my family were refugees. I support refugees because we are all God's children and we all deserve a safe place to grow in God's love. I support refugees because God made us all in God's image. I support refugees because I am a legal guardian of a minor asylee named Carol from Burundi. I support refugees because my Lord was a refugee. Because I welcome and I love my neighbor. Hi, and welcome to Hometown, a podcast from Episcopal Migration Ministries, the refugee and immigration ministry of the Episcopal Church. I'm Allison Duval, And I'm Kendall Martin. Today's episode features an interview with Ben, a pastor, evangelist, and asylee from Nigeria. He lives in the Southeast United States and was granted asylum in 2020. We also speak with the Reverend Leanne Colbreth, who has accompanied individuals and families impacted by immigrant detention in South Georgia most often at the Irwin County Detention Center in Osceola, Georgia. In 2017, she helped found South Georgia Immigrant Support Network, which they reference in today's interview. South Georgia Immigrant Support Network is a humanitarian nonprofit that provides a hospitality house, visitation, pen pal, post-release, and advocacy programs. Leanne frequently travels around the Diocese of Georgia, teaching and preaching about immigrant detention and accompaniment ministry. And in 2020, she became one of our volunteer co-facilitators for EMM's Detention Ministry Network. Kendall, what did you think? And listeners, we just finished the conversation with Leanne and and Ben. What did you think, Kendall? Uh, I'm really just so excited for folks to get to hear the interview. It was really powerful, and I feel really grateful for Ben for sharing his story and learning about his relationship with Leanne and how important it is for people to understand that you know, you can do something, you can do anything, Um, whether it's writing a letter or it's actually going and visiting someone who's in detention um, or calling your member of Congress. There's so many things that you can do. You just need to do something. And I I hope that that's what people take away from today's episode. What about you? Oh, gosh, everything you said and, and so much more. It was, I think you'll feel this listeners when you listen, there's extreme highs in the conversation, like, or the moments that gave me an emotional uh, boost and moments that left me just despairing and then returned me to moments of hope again. So it's, it's really quite the, um, quite the important conversation. We really hope, and you'll hear me challenge you listeners to do this. We really hope that you will share this episode with at least three other people and challenge them to share it with three more. The, the work that Leanne and Ben and so many others are about is about abolishing the inhumane and horrific detention system in this country. And we need your help to make that a reality, to, um, to bring liberation, a healing, justice, and reconciliation about So we really hope that you're moved by the conversation and we do challenge you, please share this episode. And I invite you to check out the blog post associated with this episode for even more information about the system of immigration detention, uh, about networks that you can get involved in, ways that you can advocate in support of immigrants. So we hope you enjoy today's conversation. Listeners, we're so grateful to be here today with our good friend, Leanne Colbreth, who is a priest in the Diocese of Georgia. 
and our friend Ben, whom listeners, if you access Star Stations of the Cross that we released in 2020, um, Ben was the author of the reflection for the first station of the cross. So Ben, we've, we've known of you and of your ministry and of your story um, really through Leanne. And we're so grateful for your time this morning chatting with us. Thanks for being here. So to move into our first question, we'd love to hear a little bit about both of your lives and your ministries. Um, ben, we know that you're a pastor and that um, that part of your identity has been very important in these last few years. And Leanne, we know that you're a priest. So if both of you could share a little bit about your life and ministry and also how you got to know one another, that would be wonderful. Um, so I'm Pastor Ben. I'm originally from Nigeria. So I came to the United States to seek asylum. So when I got to the airport, I was thinking from the airport into detention, you know, I've I was surprised because it's, it was something that took me by surprise, which I was not expecting, coming to the greatest nation in the world, taking into detention, and they practically took me into jail where they keep criminals. So, but they call it detention. This is where they keep immigrants. So while I got in there, I don't know nobody. I don't know where to start from, you know. But I had only one thing which is my faith in God, you know, so I held on to my faith in God, prayed, encouraged other people, you know. God always has a way of doing things and using his people. Once you always say yes to God, he always knows how to direct our paths. So me being in that detention was also God's way of showing me and showing everybody around me that he always comes through, no matter the situation, that he can turn a very bad situation into a good thing. So I was in detention there. Instead of me being soaked into my own problems and soaked into worries, instead God used me to be the chaplain for the detention center. First, I was detained at ACDC, Alana City Detention Center. Then I was taken to Iwin County Detention Center. So at Iwin County Detention Center, Osceola, in Georgia, that is where I was detained for most part of the years. My total time in detention that I was detained for was five years and two months. So being in that detention, I continued to do the will of God, preach to people every day, encourage people. There's a lot of broken people in there. A lot of people separated from their families, you know. So after my two years and a half being detained. So I was already the chaplain there. I was the person preaching for them. So Leanne already on her own has a ministry where she visits detainees. So one day she visited another detainee and asked him, who's your chaplain here? So the detainee mentioned to Leanne that, oh, it's Pastor Ben. So Leanne is like, okay. I want to meet this Pastor Ben. I'm, you know, I'm interested to meet him. So then one day, one Saturday, the officers called me and be like, Ben, you have, you have a visitor who comes to visit you. I'm like, well, I don't know nobody who's coming to visit me. But I'm like, God, did you send an angel for me? I'm like, okay, I'll just go and see who's coming to visit me. So I went out there, I saw Leanne, I was, you know, taking her back and she gave a warm smile and 
a friendly smile and waved at me so that, you know, to give me assurance and be like, don't worry, I'm your friend. And, you know, so, so I sat down and she told me about herself. And, you know, so that is how our friendship started. And that is how I met her. You know, so We were talking about kind of how our life has been informed by our faith. And I think it's been a lifelong journey for me of, building community and and friendships um, beyond sort of my my family system my family was not really church going um family and i went we went for a little while while i was a little girl and i just felt very close to god and wanted to stay involved in the church and this is like third or fourth grade so from that point on i just went by myself uh, when my family stopped going and um, my brothers always accused me. They teased me. This was like a bad thing that I was always trying to feed the neighborhood. I was always inviting friends to dinner, to come to the table, to be uh, with us. And, you know, at the time that was an insult, but I, we laugh at it now that, um, you know, since I was very young, I've always been trying to bring people in and feed people. <laughs> so that's been a big part of my faith. And then as i went through college and graduate school, and then after graduate school, got involved in peace and justice movements and went on a human rights delegation to Colombia um, in the middle of the, their civil war. And my experiences there of um, seeing people who were under threat of, of war, of um, who were displaced by war, who were being disappeared, who had lost loved ones because of that civil unrest that went for decades. And being in the middle of that um, opened my eyes to the realities around the world of suffering, of evil, um, and of the call of the church to accompany and be in solidarity with those who are suffering. And, and also opened my eyes to, our, to my own complicity in that because as a taxpayer, my dollars were going to support that war in Colombia. Um, and so I did a lot of um, presentations after we returned you know, from that trip to try and educate folks um, and, and to also reckon with myself about my own complicity in evils that I don't even know about and that I'm not personally connected to, um, but I am connected to in some way. And so there was a, there's a long story that I actually shared in an EMM podcast last year about how I heard a call to do immigrant detention ministry. So I won't get into it here but maybe we can put a link to it. It's a fun story, but it, it was an unexpected ministry that fell into my lap that the Holy Spirit just gave me when I was serving as a deacon at the time and was in a transition in my ministry. So I ended up hearing about a detention center close to my home, 30 minutes away um, from Tifton, Georgia, where I've lived for about 15 years now. Had never heard of it before, no idea that there was one, a prison there, uh, and two, that immigrants were being detained there. So by communicating with others in the advocacy community in Georgia, I learned more about the facility and was able to start visiting people to find out what was happening and who was there and what were the needs um, for people in there. Did they need communion? Did they want chaplaincy? Um, Were there other needs for their families? How could the church responded to this and how could this become you know, part of my own ministry and growth um, and ultimately transformation. This is what it became as I built friendships with uh, people who were detained and 
you know, uh, and I met through plexiglass with the, the plastic clunky phones, um, you know, not able to touch in a, in a room that was just loud and difficult to hear each other, um, to communicate. But with him and with others I visited in detention, there's just an instant human connection. And love really breaks through all of the barriers that were put up between us. Um, the, the fact that uh, Ben and I ever met is a, a miracle. And then all that, there's, there's only one way to explain it, and that's God, that the Holy Spirit drew us together in friendship. And that happens over and over again in detention centers um, and prisons around the country, that people who were strangers to each other become friends and humanity breaks through all of those barriers and, and love breaks through all of those barriers. So I was privileged to get to be part of that um, in developing this friendship with Ben, who then um, became a, a prayer partner, was always praying for me, for my family, always called on the holidays. My family, my mom didn't even call me some holidays, but Ben always called me on a holiday, <laughs> you know, to make sure he knew I was thinking about him. And, and so he was part of our family and, and our life. Um, long before he was ever uh, released. And through that friendship with him, and, and not just with me, but others um, that came into his life, you know, through visitation, we found legal support that he didn't have. Um, we're able to connect him with the resources he needed to um, endure detention longer to fight his case, but then also eventually, um, you know, win a habeas petition and be released. And then eventually, uh, he had already found an attorney uh, for his case, a pro bono attorney um, through Catholic Charities, who fought for his asylum case and eventually won. Uh, so it's been a long journey. And through that, our uh, diocese got involved. My bishop went with me to visit Ben several times. Um, you know, and then after his release, uh, different families in the diocese and our Curcio ministry in the diocese have really embraced Ben and he has been such a blessing on all of us uh, because of his faith and his testimony um, of God's faithfulness in his life. It's just um, been an incredible journey to be on together. When for our listeners who might not know how it works in terms of visitation, when you were first going to Irwin Detention Center? Was it through a, a formal visitation program or how exactly does that work? Right. At the time, there was no visitation program or any humanitarian group you know, serving the population at Irwin County Detention Center. There had long been a visitation program at Stewart Detention Center about two hours away from me called El Refugio. And through them, I learned about Irwin County Detention Center and also started to work with them on um, building a program. And so from those early visitations, like with Ben and some others, um, started to get more people involved in visitation locally at Irwin. Gradually, a nonprofit developed, um, the South Georgia Immigrant Support Network, which a small group of us founded together, and I continue to co-lead that group to provide humanitarian support and mutual aid for people who are detained and for their families. We opened a hospitality house 
for a couple of years uh, for families and for pro bono um, attorneys and translators and social workers who came to support the women and men detained at Irwin. So um, there wasn't anything there, uh, but gradually it developed and partly because people do get transferred around to different detention centers. So, um, you know, Ben was ultimately in three different detention centers in Georgia over the course of the five years he was detained. So when people were transferred from Stewart to Irwin, El Refugio was able to give us names and ID numbers of people who had already been in a visitation program. And then from there, once you meet with one person and you say, well, who else needs a visit? Who's struggling? Who needs support? Who doesn't have family to come see them? You know, so Ben would give me a list of names and A numbers of people who wanted visits and other people uh, did the same. And through that, we were able to start to build friendships um, and this just web of support that now goes all around the world. Um, I'm in contact regularly with people in Africa and, and Mexico and the Caribbean. Um, they're still part of my life. And Ben, how did your relationships expand with other folks in the Diocese of Georgia? I know Leanne said other people started to get involved and come visit. Yes. Um, so after we met for the first time, you know, so it was just the hand of God. So Leanne was able to introduce me to another pastor of the Baptist church called Rick. You know, he came also to visit me and we became friends also. So even the Bishop Ben Hayes, he came also to visit me, which I really appreciate because in, you know, people see people who are in detention as nobody, you know, but having a visit from the Bishop of the Diocese of Georgia, that is, you know, what more can you ask from God, you know? He came to visit me, gave me his blessings, and, you know, it was, it was, it was such a great day for me. Like, I was... Those was one of the happiest days of my life, you know. So it's just like the story of Joseph, you know, God taking a nobody and making him somebody. You know, so when I got released, I met a lot of Episcopalians. You know. I attended the last year Crucio, you know, which was a wonderful experience. I shared my testimony, met a lot of friends, and I met Lawson and his family. We're still friends to today with his parents also, who are great, you know, great people of faith, you know, so, and I'm still friends with all of them, we encourage each other, pray for each other, visit each other, you know, has, the work has been wonderful, you know, I encourage more people from the diocese and all over the states to, you know, step out there and show love, because our faith is, is a faith of love. You know, step out there. There's somebody God is calling you to meet. There's somebody God is calling you to make a difference in their life. It can start from a visit, just like it started with me and Leanne. You know, it can start from saying hello to somebody. It can start from, you know, just a warm smile to somebody. Just a letter or a postcard. It's so simple. I think it's so true what both of you said about, like, our faith is a faith of love. Pastor Ben, you said that. And there's something so powerful about when other people, when other when other beloved children of God remind each other that they matter and that they're loved and that they're seen. So our podcast is called Hometown. And one of the things that we've done 
since we started the podcast is talk to our our guests about what home means to them. Um, so I, I'd love to hear from both of you, not only what home means to you now, but perhaps how that meaning has changed over time. And perhaps if it, if your friendship and your ministries have, have influenced how you understand home. So pastor Ben, would you, would you speak to that? What does home home mean? So, um, Growing up, I've always been in ministry too, because my mom and dad were, you know, also, my dad was an evangelist, was a pastor too. So, growing up, I've always wanted to do the will of God. I went on missions, and it was through going to these missions and doing the work of God that I had some problems, you know, which with some people who don't like me practicing my faith and doing the work of God, doing missions. So, so I was in danger over where I was from, so I had to leave to come here and seek refuge. And, you know, like my life was, which led to some um, murder of my, some of my family members. So being a missionary and doing the work of God and preaching and bringing faith and love to people like, Everywhere I've come to has always been home for me, you know, like, because there is, there's, a, there's this, there's a special blessing when you're able to express love to somebody. You, you don't want to care again what it, whatever is going on. You just want to keep showing that other person that God loves them, that the love of God is transpiring through you to them, you know, so it's, it has always been home you know, for me, for wherever that I've been. Like, when I was in detention, it was, detention felt like home for me. You know, that was why I was able to, like, I was preaching sometimes when, when we have church service in the detention, we have, like, over 100 people coming to the church service. We have a lot of people, like, it was, like, looking at those numbers, it was, it was just home for me. And I've seen somebody ask me before, while I was in detention, it's like, you've been here a long time. You've been here for like five years. Why are you not angry? Why are you not sad? Why are you so happy? Why are you so relaxed? And my answer was simple. I have Jesus. You know, so. Being released now, it's, Atlanta has been home for me too, like, because I've been able also to, also volunteer, we continue to do my ministries. And like I discussed with Leon the other day, my next plan is to start a prison ministry, you know. Like I want to be able to go back into prisons, into detention centers, like go inside and interact with them. I don't want to, you know, do it like, you know, be from a fan. I want to go inside again and interact with them, you know. You know, and be able to still bring the love of Jesus Christ to them, bring the love of God to them. And Leanne, what about you? What is what does home mean now? How has it changed over the, these last few years? You know, for me, home is wherever people are gathered around a table and eating food, eating homemade food. <laughs> really, um, you know, as I thought about 
you know, what is what is home to me that's the images that come are all full tables and um and some and i have different homes like geographically different places i would call home but the thing that makes it the home is is the gathering um and the sharing and of food our family always showed love through food and um, that's and my husband's family is the same that's how i knew they were my people because we were all always feeding each other um but it was about so much more than the food it's about being together and so now um you know through this ministry the the table is is larger the food is different um and there's love that's flowing in from all over the world in a in a beautiful way i last um christmas we got to share with pastor ben um was able to come down to tifton and be in our home for christmas day and um and be with other uh, friends through that whole weekend. And my favorite memory is is him in our kitchen making jollof jollof rice, right? Is that yes. <laughs> um, traditional celebration, uh, celebratory food in um, not just Nigeria but throughout uh, Africa, right? Yes. Said, um, you know, and while I was doing the gingerbread cookies, which is sort of my my tradition over uh, over here, and I have a very small kitchen, so it was a little complicated to do all this at once. Um, but just to make that food and then share it around the table uh, with friends, um, you know, with another group of friends was was very special. And so I think it's just that the idea, the experience of it, just gets richer and um, more grand and a grander vision of God's table and and what's really happening when we when we gather around the altar um, around God's table to share in the food that God gives us and in the drink that God gives us. Um, so it brings us closer to closer to that because it really is the ultimate vision of the kingdom is that we're all gathered around the table. I love that. That's beautiful. Um, I'd like. For listeners who are interested in either getting engaged in some type of ministry, whether formal or informal, um, I'd love to hear from both of you. Pastor Ben, what do you find to be helpful as someone who was in immigration detention? Like what you needed, what, what, what would be really helpful? And then from Leanne, from your perspective, like what advice you could give folks when it comes to advocating for those who are in detention and all the work that needs to be done to dismantle that system. Um, I'd love to hear from both of you. Yeah, that's a good question. You know, Leanne, the first time we met, she asked me that question also. Right? What do we need? So, and my first answer was Bibles. We're always needing Bibles because especially like where I was detained, it was a lot of Hispanics. And there was very little supply of Bibles in Spanish. And there was a lot of Hispanics coming in and they needed, they needed some encouragement, which God provides. And there wasn't enough Bibles to share to them, to give to them, you know. And I always encourage them that when they are leaving, to take the Bible with them. You know, so once they receive the Bible, they're leaving, they take it with them. So the first thing is the Bible. You know, there's, there's al always need for Bible in the detention center. You know, then the second thing is, 
Yes, in many languages, yes. Not only in Spanish, English, um, French, you know, because there's a lot of you know, different nationalities in the detention centers. So another thing is a letter, a postcard, maybe a visit if you can, you know. There's a lot of ways you can get involved in, like, there's already a ministry, this South Georgia Immigration Support Network, which I'm also a member of. So you can reach out to us. We already we already know how to, you know, visit people in detention, reach people out in detention, support them in different ways. So there is a lot of things we do in um, South Georgia Immigration Support Network. Like we provide commissary. Commissary is like extra food the detainees get. They are able to buy. So donation to SATS, you know, SGIN, it's also encouraged, you know, sending a postcard, we send postcards. Then we have people who goes into the detention to visit them. So we have different things we do also. We also send books, like some people, they want to read books. We send Bibles also, you know, so there's, so if you're trying to get involved with detainees, with immigrants, formally or informally that's there's always a way you just have to ask you know so there's always a way just don't be afraid and be like oh how do i start where do i start from no there are people who's doing it already you know so there is there's a way already you know so just reach out and you'll be involved and you will it's a wonderful experience it's an experience you would you would not regret and the most important part is is know that you're practicing your faith, you know, because I always like to share with people in the book of Matthew chapter 25 from verse 25 then was Jesus said, um, when I was hungry, you gave me food. When I was thirsty, you gave me a drink. When I was in prison, you visited me. So this is part of our faith. This is a core foundation of our faith, you know. So this is on the judgment day, that is what Jesus will ask us. He will not ask us how many jobs do we have, how much money, how rich, how much was. Instead, he will ask us what is the actions, what did we do for our faith, what did we do for his love. Yeah, everything he said, um, but just generally, anything we can do to humanize, personalize, um, people who are in detention um, to move away from stereotypes about who is detained, who immigrants are, why they are here. Um, you know, hearing Ben's story, you know, as an asylum seeker, that's a very different kind of story than um, somebody who has recently crossed the border um, for maybe for work or to meet with family. I mean, there are so many different stories and journeys the people in immigrant detention and those who are in detention are not in there because they're criminals. They have not committed a crime for which they're serving a sentence in immigrant detention. Um, detention is completely unnecessary. There are other ways to track people through a detention process, but because it's profitable, it continues. Um, and so people inside become just numbers and heads to count um, so that facilities can, you know, can count all of those people and get paid for them every night and make a profit off of their suffering inside. So 
the more that we can build relationships and have a human face and say, here is somebody's story. He came fleeing a threat on his life or on her life, or, um, or this person has been here, came as a child at two years old and has no memories of the country of origin and, you know, and, and has been here for decades and does not have a pathway to citizenship except may, maybe marriage and that pushes women into abusive marriages. So um, where their spouse will not apply and fill out the paperwork because they want to control that person. So it's a longer story, but just there, we have so many assumptions about who is an immigrant detention and why, and um, without really hearing the story, without finding out, you know, who they are and who God has created them to be and that they're all beloved children of God and made in the image of God and they're imprisoned. So the more that we can put a human face on through relationships, through letter writing and visitation and sharing stories, um, amplifying stories of people who are in detention in any ways uh, that we can. And EMM has done a lot of that work over the last few years. Um, making sure that stories are getting out there um, and that we're not uh, that we're not sharing narratives or stereotypes that um, deny people's humanity um, and their expression of God in the world. So uh, there are so many practical things that can do that and that can be part of that relationship. You know, the, the respect people's dignity to try to make detention if they have to be in there as endurable as possible. Um, and also to help encourage their own hope and resiliency. I mean, people in detention are strong. They have tremendous resilience. Um, they know how to organize and, and fight for themselves. Just sometimes they get tired and need a little encouragement or maybe need a little assist from the outside to do uh, what they know needs to be done for themselves to fight for themselves. So, so a lot of it is also um, just helping to encourage the, the hope and resilience that's are already there in their spirits, um, you know, and not coming in with the approach that we're going to, you know, save people, um, but that together, you know, through mutually transformative relationships, uh, we can start to chip away at, the system and expose it, uh, shine a light on it and expose it for what it is and for what's happening inside. And a lot of that has been happening lately, especially because of medical abuses that have come to light at Irwin County Detention Center, um, that this particular facility where Pastor Ben was detained for five years is now on national inter international news because of what women faced um, there with gynecological procedures um, that happened without consent um, often and, you know, other allegations around the kind of care they received. Um, but that also, medical abuse and neglect is something that, you know, that men experience as well. That certainly was part of Ben's experience in detention um, with lack of care for chronic illness um, that could have become very serious um, if he had remained in detention much longer. So. Um, also advocacy work, um, advocating with attorneys, um, with human rights groups, immigrant rights groups, signing petitions, all of that 
getting Congress involved. Um, those are our all critical uh, ministries that we have to help stop the abuse and then eventually to uh, find justice and healing for those who have who have suffered. Uh, people in detention suffer are are put in solitary confinement. I know somebody who experienced they call it lockdown or segregation, but it's solitary confinement for 23 hours a day alone in a cell with no TV, no interaction, no ability to call family. Um, I know one person who experienced three 30-day lockdowns in the last year. That's a form of torture. It is. It is. I could not visit that person. I could not call that person during those 30 days. Um, Scripture, prayer, reading got her through. But that's still torture that will need to be that she will need to heal from and she will face, you know, um, repercussions of for the rest of her life. So advocacy work um, is critical to expose and shut down and then um, eventually find healing to have a Truth and Reconciliation Commission around immigrant detention, I think is essential. I think that needs to happen um, very soon. And, and I'm hoping that because the women, because the whistleblowers spoke out, because women are coming forward now to t share their stories that they could not share before because they just didn't have the protection or the support to do that, um, that now we have an opportunity to expose how truly horrible um, this system is. And we have the attention of people who um, can make that change, but we just need everybody joining in um, to say this is wrong. And we, we just, we have to find another way. There is another way and we have to find it. We have to pursue it. Yes, let me add a little bit more from what Leanne has said. So from my experience in detention, let me remind our listeners again, like I was physically detained in a, in a, in a detention center in Alwyn County Detention Center for five years and two months. So that five years and two months, like I, there was a lot, a lot of experiences. So I would tell that the detention center is now privately owned. So it's, it's like a business venture for these owners. So all they have to do is to maximize their profits. They just, they're making profits out of these detention centers. So there's a bunch of people, not only me, like in the hundred thousands of people who did not commit any crime, but because these detention centers are privately owned, they just want these people to be detained so that they can make profit from taxpayers so that they can make their own profit, which I think it's, it's, it's a very barbaric system. And not a lot of people knows that this is what is going on. You know, they say they detain it. There is a more than 100,000, 200,000 detainees who have not committed any crime. Like even in the millions of them, but they are being detained because the owners of these detention centers want to make profits. Then another thing they do is the food they provide, it's, it's, it's not, even a dog food is, is better food than what they feed people in detention centers. And the medical, like now everybody has seen, the medical is, it's, 
is way bad. There is a lot of neglect. There's a lot of people. There's even deaths in detention centers. You know, all the owners of these detention centers, what they are focused on is just their own selfish profit, selfish gains. So I think these detention centers should be closed down and another way devised to handle it, you know, immigration and instead of detaining detainees, which large population of them have not committed crimes. Because I was only in detention because I asked for asylum. My life was in danger. I ran over here to seek refuge, but instead I was put in detention. And they were willing to keep holding me because they want to keep making profit from taxpayers. And we haven't even mentioned COVID yet. We haven't mentioned the fact that these facilities are still operating in a pandemic where social distancing is really not possible in confinement. There is not good ventilation of the air. Um, for most of the time in this pandemic, in the last six, eight months, there have been no masks um, available regularly to detained persons. Um, you know, the, the whistleblower, Nurse Wooten from Irwin County Detention Center, um, shared struggles of staff to even obtain appropriate PPE and how many times they were asked uh, to jeopardize their own health and safety uh, to provide care for detained persons because they weren't provided with the appropriate protective gear or they were asked to come in uh, to work even though they were symptomatic um, and working around other people who were symptomatic. Uh, you know, and so and people are still being transferred in and out of facilities often without appropriate testing and and so many women we've heard from in the last six months have said you know women are symptomatic in the dorm we're not getting tested we're asking for tests they won't give them to us uh they're moving people or taking them out taking their temperature sending them back to the dorm um so there are so many people who have experienced covid and there have been deaths connected to COVID at detention centers around the country, um, all of them preventable. Um, they can all be released and they should be released, um, especially during a pandemic, uh, because that it not only impacts persons who are detained, but the workers who work there and then go out into the community and to restaurants and churches and schools and their families um, are all at risk. And I live in a community with you know, we're close to this facility. And so my own community and school system and family and churches, church can be impacted um, by the failure to contain and address this pandemic uh, within the facility. But it's impossible to contain it because of the conditions. And they don't have soap. They don't have often, you know, they won't refill a soap machine for a week or won't provide cleaning supplies. and. But even so, they're all breathing the same air. You know, and the vents all go into other dorms and they, there are no windows for fresh air. If they get outside, maybe they can get outside for a few minutes a day into kind of a large chicken coop, basically. Um, you know, but a lot of people don't even do that. They'll go months without ever seeing, getting fresh air or seeing the sun. They just don't want to go outside because it's too hard to come back in. Once they've gone outside, they can't do it. They can't smell that air and, and get a taste of freedom and then go back in. So they just never go outside. But um, either way, I mean, COVID is that a large part of the 
complaint that was filed um, about Irwin back in September was around COVID and the lack of testing and um, appropriate procedures, um, not following the CDC guidelines for correctional facilities, transferring people, we're deporting people who are positive for COVID and spreading it to other countries and spreading it around the country to other facilities because people get transferred from Irwin to another facility to be prepared for deportation. They may, you know, have make seven stops, you know, along the way to pick up different people at different detention centers before they finally end up getting deported. So the the number of the, the amount of exposure somebody can have that they can't control. They don't they don't have a control any control over whether or not they have a mask. It's not something you can buy in a commissary. So if they don't have one, they don't have one. But women were making masks out of their socks. You know, just tearing their socks up to make masks to have something. They they just don't have a choice. Families we can't families can't send them. You, know. you can't provide that for people. And and when they're transported, they're transported in shackles um, to medical appointments while being deported um, in chains on hands and feet, like they were you know all mass murderers and incredible danger to society. And this is true of Pastor Ben. Yes. And the medical appointments, you transported yes. in chains. Sometimes these chains dig into the wrist and dig into the feet. You know, it's it's it's, it's a horrible experience, you know. That's why they put these detention centers away from the city, away from where people wouldn't, you know, because there's nobody that will see another human being being shackled and just be quiet about it. That is dehumanizing and all this is going on it is it is still going on up to today thank you both for shedding light on the truth and reality of what's happening um i i've learned and heard from you both this morning and continue to from others engaged in this work that like there's there's an amazing strength and courage that comes from um from both of you to, to see, acknowledge, and to, to describe the horrors and the inhumanity, but then to move toward addressing the injustices. Um, and not just, I, I think one of the things that individuals like myself who live in relative privilege um, can have a tendency to do is feeling, feeling paralyzed when being met with this information um, and having to grapple with the truth. So I want to move us, if, if you are willing, um, to challenging our listeners from this conversation they've listened to, to move towards some kind of action that confronts the injustices that you've spoken about. Um, my own challenge to our listeners, kind of pulling from what Leanne said earlier about sharing stories that personalize and make real what we're talking about. I want to challenge our listeners, like, you know, we live in a time of self-contained opinion bubbles. Um, and so we know we're probably preaching to the choir with this podcast. I would challenge our listeners to share this conversation between Ben and Leanne with at least three other people and to challenge those three other people to share it with three other people and people who would naturally find it or be inclined to listen. So really do, do share this conversation. It's so critical that these things get out. And Pastor Ben and Mother Leanne, I'd be interested to hear what would you challenge our listeners to do? 
what should they do as an action having heard this conversation this morning? So I will challenge our listeners to, after listening to this, for them to know that there is, there is an action to be taken. And not only them knowing that there is an action to be taken, they should take the action. They should reach out, like reach out to somebody and just, like we have mentioned before, it is, it is not an impossible thing. There is nothing to, like there is already a system to battle this injustice. We just need a lot of support. We just need a lot of, you know, we need if the, even the president to get involved, all the lawmakers, Congress, like everybody to get involved. Because just like the popular saying, an injustice to one person is an injustice to all. So do not feel that, oh, I'm the more privileged. I'm living a good life. I'm American citizen. No, we are all human beings. That is what we have in common. We are all human beings, and we have one sun that shines on everybody. Whether you are a U.S. citizen, you are an immigrant, or but we have human beings in common, and we have the sun, which God lovingly shines for everybody. So it is on everybody that listens to this podcast to do something. Please do something. There is any action you do against an injustice is not very little. Or speaking out, there is nothing that is little you do against injustice. You writing just a letter, you reaching out to the SGIN that is already fighting against this, you signing a petition, there is, there is a lot everybody can do. And there is something for everybody. So that is what I would say to our listeners. I challenge the listeners to trust. That seems like a simple thing, but trust is really, really hard. And by trust, I mean trusting God, trusting that God is already in this, that God has gone before us, it is already at work, um, is already bringing freedom and reconciliation and healing um, in this system, and is already doing the work of dismantling the system. Um, and so, you know, trust that that God goes before us and we don't need to be afraid um, to do it and just tapping into God's strength and listening to where God is um, already at work and then joining God in that ministry of reconciliation that's already unfolding in our midst um, and trust that goodness will follow and blessing will be part of it. Um, It is scary. I was scared going into a jail for the first time. Uh, I had never done prison ministry, had no sense of calling to it, um, had no idea what I was doing. There were definitely times where I left and I didn't know how I would keep going back. Um, It just had to sit with that trust and know that God had brought me there um, to be part of this. There were others who had gone before. God was already at work and Pastor Ben in that facility was already at work to bring us together and so many other relationships. Um, that have formed. And that's happening everywhere. So just trust in the Lord with all your might. I always say, um, remind people that Pastor Ben um, always tells me, the Lord is your strength. The Lord is your strength. The Lord is your strength. Every time I would be struggling or stressed or not sure what would happen next. And, um, you know, if and you just, the Lord is your strength. The Lord is your strength. And so I 
have that um, on replay in my mind all the time whenever I'm feeling feeling anxious or uncertain about what I'm doing um, or if I feel unsafe or whatever. I just remember the Lord is my strength. Um, I can trust in that strength to be there for me always. Yes, that's true. The Lord is always our strength. We just have to trust in him. It doesn't take a lot to trust God. Just trust and allow him to take you through the process. Thank you. I think that's a a beautiful note to end with for our listeners. And I just want to thank you both so much. And I want to tell you, Pastor Ben, I think your impact on people's lives goes far. And I hadn't even met you, but when I heard that you had been granted asylum, I cheered and I was excited and you're doing powerful things. And Leanne, I'm so grateful that you're here today and that you've um, introduced us to this relationship and you're fighting the good fight and grateful to know you. So thank you. Thank you. It's a blessing to be part of this and be part of EMM's ministry. My final word to say to everybody is, first of all, have faith in God and you know, God is present in our lives. And it's just that most times people don't trust in him or we don't see it. But I hope after listening to this podcast, we'll listen to God more and follow his lead. And thank you, um, Kendall. Thank you to Allison. Thank you to Leon for being on this podcast and bringing light on justice for people to see. You know, and I pray that everybody, you know, get involved in this justice to close down detention centers. It is doing more harm than good. No matter how they sell it, it is, it is because I was detained, physically detained for five years and two months for no crime. So it is time everybody stand up for this fight and, you know, and do something about it, take action about it. And I pray that God will bless everybody and the Lord is our strength. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today, listeners. We invite you to join us each week during Advent for reflection and prayer. These reflections will also be available on the EMM website blog. We also invite you to join us on December 13th from 7 to 8 p.m. Eastern for a virtual Advent vigil. And it will be available by Zoom webinar and also Facebook Live. We invite you to register for the Zoom webinar at bit.ly forward slash EMM vigil. As always, you can follow EMM on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where we are EMM Refugees. In the season of giving, we invite you to make a gift to support the refugee and immigration ministries of the Episcopal Church through the work of Episcopal Migration Ministries. Visit episcopalmigrationministries.org forward slash give or text hometown to 91999. We also want to invite you to get your very own EMM swag at bit.ly forward slash we are EMM. We have a variety of EMM branded shirts to help you proclaim loudly that you welcome our newest neighbors. Our theme song composer is Abraham Awinda Ikondo. Find his music at abrahamawinda.bandcamp.com. Until next time, peace be with you and all those you consider home.